0: Hello and welcome to Among Other Things, the podcast about everything. I'm your host, Trent Ashcraft. This week, we sat down with friend of the show and my personal friend, filmmaker Christopher Maloney, to talk about some of his past projects as well as his recent foray into the world of podcasting. But before we jump into that interview, do us a favor. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast on all your social media. Do all the things that we need you to do. We appreciate your support. And now, my interview... With Chris, we are here with my good friend, uh, returning champion, friend of the show, uh, filmmaker, and uh, a great a great person to travel across the country with. I have found my dear friend Christopher Maloney. Hello, Christopher.
1: Hello. It's a pleasure to be back.
0: You know the great thing about this time around, as compared to last time, is that. The audio quality is going to be so much higher <laughs> because we will we will not be sharing one microphone uh, in in my basement like we did four years ago. Is that all we did? Which I don't remember did. the
1: one microphone part. I remember the basement part.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> hard to forget. I don't remember
1: the one microphone part.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think that. Podcast, which you you cannot. I don't even think you can even find it online anymore. I had to. I think I took it down. Had the the dark web somewhere? Yeah, somebody's got it. Um, I think it was definitely the definitely the worst sounding one that I ever did. Uh, That was a me problem. That was not a you problem. Um, But you are back because uh, you've got a new project that you're working on. And last time you were on, we talked about another project that you were working on. So, um, why don't you? Why don't we take a, a, a step back? Four years ago, the last time you were here, on among other things, the podcast about everything. Smash that subscribe, leave a five star rating. Um, four years ago, you or so, three years ago perhaps, you were on talking about a documentary that you had made. Called "In God We Trump." Um, can you just uh, give a brief explanation to our listeners what that was? What that film was about? Sure.
1: Actually, well, I think when we recorded, I was actually in the middle of. I was still filming all the interviews, mm-hmm. so I hadn't finished it yet. But <clears throat> yeah, "In God We Trump." It's basically about the uh, connection between evangelicals and President Trump. And how the the right-wing religious uh, community had mobilized behind a candidate unlike any other candidate before, even though this one had demonstrably the probably most questionable moral fiber and most questionable uh, character traits. And so it's about, like, what they're looking for when they get behind a candidate. And... um, how it strayed so far from the person that they claim to be following Jesus and how it has little to do with anything that he was living out or talking about.
0: Yeah, and so I think that was a thing that um, I remember in 2015 uh when then then candidate trump announced his candidacy i remember saying to to friends and others that we were talking about the election like that you know this this trump character he's not gonna be nominated by the republican party um and my rationale was um because i never thought at that time that the evangelical community would rally around him um, because I was coming out of the mindset of oh, uh, george George w bush or or the people who oppose Bill Clinton and and the moral majority and all these sort of things and so I just kind of assumed uh, that that this would not be a candidate that would appeal to them and I proved to be very wrong very wrong about that and and President Trump uh, one of the reasons why he was elected was overwhelming evangelical support um is that something that surprised you uh and 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 caused you to want to to make the movie or um or did you learn anything i guess during the during the filming of it that might explain uh their support for a candidate that as you said didn't seem to embody the the values and principles that they that they support
1: Right. Well, I think the, the, the nomination of Trump, <clears throat> what it showed was that uh, it, it forced the evangelicals to show their hand and show what they actually care about when it comes to what they vote for and who they vote for. Because <clears throat> up until then, pretty much, I mean, at least since Reagan, every time there was a Republican uh, nominee, they always did a really good job of towing the line as far as like uh, Christian character and attending church and using scripture in their speeches and things like that. And that was always enough to uh, at least keep up appearances, whether or not, how, how sincere or not they were, I don't know, but it was at least easy to look at them uh, as a Christian candidate in some respects. But then when Trump came along, it didn't even do a good job of pretending to be a Christian or to um, make it seem like faith was an important part of his life. Um, And he still got the evangelical support. That was what, that was what was surprising to me was that he didn't even have to really play the game to get it. All he had to do was say a couple things, like say something, um, derogatory about people who get abortions or say something like he doesn't believe in same-sex marriage and that was really all it took to get their support after Mm -hmm. that um and yeah like you said it was overwhelming it was the highest highest support for any presidential candidate uh, of the evangelicals including george w bush who you know evangelicals loved him by and large uh trump did better with them in 2016 than george w bush did with them when he won twice or well when he was crowned king by his brother down there in florida the first time and then when he won re-election the second time
0: (laughs) yeah and i think i think it's fair to say any any observer could could say that uh certainly former president bush uh took his took his faith far more seriously and was far more sincere in the things that he said Oh, sure. than, than anything president trump has said right um, now i
1: the the problem is that like <clears throat> i believe george w bush was very sincere in his faith mm-hmm. the problem is that doesn't qualify you to run a country yes that, that's that's my that's my my big argument with that it's like yeah sure george w bush is probably a devout christian who has said that um you know, his life was changed because of his faith. I believe that. But when it comes to like how evangelicals vote by and large, that's usually all it takes. Mm-hmm. There is really no need to look at any other policies, qualifications, anything like that. Um, and I think Trump proved that better than anybody. Sure.
0: Yeah. I, I, uh, so if you want to, um, if anyone wants to, to check out uh, the film, that kind of explores these ideas and interviews uh, some pretty thoughtful individuals. Um, Where can, where can someone, uh, where can someone find it?
1: Uh, Well, it was on uh, some of the streaming platforms originally, but now I've moved it over to Vimeo for free. So if you look it up on Vimeo, the uh, platform, Mm -hmm. uh, the video platform, you can watch it completely for free.
0: There you go. So uh, it now looks like a bit of a, a retrospective. We're recording this on November, what is today? The 19th, 19th. November 19th, 2020. Um, and uh, there has been another election and it turned out a different way. Uh, one of the things that I, and we won't harp on this too much, but the, one of the things that I found interesting about this last election was that um, President Trump still did very well with evangelicals but uh there was there was a little break in the dam and and i think he lost six percent support or something like that um and there were there were organizations uh like vote common good and some others um that were talking about some of the the things that i think are highlighted in your in your film that um that if we look at the actions and we look at the words of a person, um, we might find that they're, they don't seem to line up very well with, with Christian teaching. And not everyone agrees with that, obviously, but certainly uh, uh, more people in 2020 uh, who who claim to be evangelicals felt that than in 2016. And um, certainly, even though... The election itself, honestly, was not really that close. If we look at popular votes, if we look at electoral college margin, but in a number of states, your Wisconsin's, your your Georgia's, your Arizona's, uh, shaving off a few thousand votes or a few, even a few hundred votes uh, from that evangelical support may have gone a long way in, uh, in changing the outcome of the election this time around. Right. So, yeah, I'd like uh, to think
1: that yeah. enough people saw In God We Trump and had their minds changed and decided to vote differently this time around.
0: I'm sure that that was probably the, <laughs> this, the single most uh, in, <laughs> important factor. Yeah. No, but it's a, it's a good piece. I I've, would recommend it. Certainly to anybody, you can check it out on, on Vimeo. Is that I say that right? Not yeah. Venmo. That's something else. No, but if they wanted to Venmo you to watch it on Vimeo you probably would be okay with it, but you don't have to. It's free. It's free. Um, but you're not here to talk about uh, the thing that you did in the past. You're here to talk about the thing that's coming out in the future. Uh, and that is that you are launching a new podcast uh, known as knowing, knowing Andy Kaufman. Is that correct? Yeah, um, Knowing Andy Kaufman. Knowing Andy Kaufman that will, uh, I assume, explore the life of – the uh the the famous performer i i have to say i've always been interested in your interest with andy kaufman so first of all uh for those who do not know who andy kaufman is could you take a minute and just kind of explain who he was and uh maybe what has uh, caused you to be so interested in his life over the years?
1: Yeah. Well, that, that yeah, uh, it's funny that you're interested in my interest. It, it's <laughs> yeah. more like, uh, it's more like an obsession, I would say. Um, I've been pretty fixated with Andy since I was about 14 or 15 years old. And you and I used to talk about it mm-hmm. years and years ago. We used to talk about Andy on and off. We were both listening to, uh, the REM song about Andy quite a bit
0: and <laughs> On then constant uh, repeat
1: yeah so yep. i well before i I'll, I'll talk about him but i'm curious from someone who is not obsessed with him how would you describe him
0: well well my uh, i think if you had to put him in a category i think most people would call him a comedian but i don't think that that is really a fair um a fair title although much of what he did was very funny um i had no idea who this person was for for those that don't know chris and i have known one another since middle school and um i remember i don't know when but i remember you started talking a lot about andy kaufman and tony clifton and you told me about your friend tony Tony clifton and i and i was so confused as to what this was and then uh I, i eventually came to learn that it was uh this this performer who um had been on taxi and who um made famous appearances on saturday night live um but uh and for for whom a a a film was made uh by starring jim carrey as andy kaufman uh man on the moon and yeah you and i would you and i would talk about him all the time i didn't have much to contribute (laughs) because i i was not overly familiar with his work but you know that's what every you know 14 and 15 year old boys do is they, they sit around and talk about performers from the 70s um But certainly, he was known for uh, performance art that was not that made people uncomfortable. That was not uh, not your typical stand-up and tell jokes or or tell stories or whatever. It was something beyond that. That again, even now, I'm having trouble describing what exactly it would be.
1: It's tough. He he did a lot of different. I mean, yeah, people called him a comedian, but. I haven't been able to find any instance of when he actually told a joke.
0: Mm-hmm. Now,
1: he, he did lots of odd things that, that I think when you watched him, you didn't know what your reaction should be. So I think the, you ended up laughing uh, more often than not. And because of that, people kind of group him in with comics, which is fair. You can call him a comic. Um, he was a percussionist. He played the congas really well. He was a professional wrestler, mm-hmm. a children's entertainer. Uh, he was on Taxi, like you mentioned, and uh, Saturday Night Live. He was on the first episode of Saturday Night Live. And then he did all these uh, concerts, these live performances um, across the country where he would just do a little bit of everything. So he would like wrestle women from the audience for, the, for people who don't know, he always dreamed of being a professional wrestler, but then uh, coming to terms with the fact that he wasn't big enough or strong enough to wrestle men wrestlers, he decided that he would probably have a good chance of winning if he wrestled women. So he did that for a long time and he would do that in his, in his concerts. And um, yeah, and then there was the, his alter ego, uh, Tony Clifton, who was like this kind of washed up lounge singer a uh, person who was very abusive to the audience. And Andy always maintained that he was not Tony Clifton, never admitted, I don't think ever publicly uh, admitted that he was Tony Clifton. Um, so it's just all these things that he did that were that people are still trying to figure out what he was up to and why he was doing them. And so what, I, what got this project started was that uh there's this mythology around andy that like he was always in character and he was always performing and so therefore you couldn't really know who he really was or Mm -hmm. there like there wasn't a real andy you just had to accept that you could only try and get to know him through the characters but um i i had a sneaking suspicion that was not the case and um when i started just trying to, to feel around um, w- with the people that he was close to, to see if this was like a line of thought that they'd be interested in, in cooperating with. I, the response was very enthusiastic. And so like his family, I spoke with them and they loved the idea because it, I don't think they like the idea that, um, you know, the Andy that they knew could be forgotten totally. And only remembered because of some of the things he did publicly. So, so this podcast is about getting to know who he was um, as a person, not strictly as a performer, which um, gets skipped over a lot of the time. When, we, when Andy gets talked about, um, it, it's like people have accepted that you couldn't know who he was. And so this podcast is trying to prove that idea wrong.
0: You talk about the, uh, the wrestling aspect, um, the wrestling women, but also he had a very famous encounter with Jerry the King Lawler, the king of Memphis wrestling. Who, uh, people who, who might know who that is probably know him more as uh, today as an announcer for, for WWE and those sort of things. But you, it, it occurred to me, um, I grew up a diehard professional wrestling fan. And uh, and you know why? Because it might be the greatest form of entertainment in the world, if we're being honest. But certainly was uh, it, at one time. Yeah, I would agree. And, and it occurs to me that in the era that he was active, nineteen seventies, there was something called, and I've never thought about this before, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it. There was a there was something called kayfabe, which meant that if you were a professional wrestler, um, you were to be that character 24 hours a day that you could not, you could not go out to, if you were a bad guy, you could not travel with the good guys. You could not, you could not go out to dinner with the good guys because someone might see you and, and the, 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 the business existed in such a way to, to make sure that the audience um, the audience believed that th- what they were seeing was legitimate, um, and that required total dedication. Total that ded- You know, if you if you were an American person but you played a Russian wrestler, then you had to speak with a Russian accent all the time. And I wonder if um, I, I, it just seems to me there might be a parallel there between the fact that that people in that line of work, that kind of of uh, entertainment they too could not turn it off because because it was it would it would somehow it would denigrate the act if other people were in on it if they got smart to the business um and so i wonder if if, if many people never knew the real them you know what i'm saying and so i i wonder if maybe some of that is what attracted andy to it because his his art was not as you say i'm going to stand up on a stage and tell a joke. It was I am going to portray this persona of of andy kaufman and and that's that's who i'm going to be, and that requires uh that requires twenty four hour dedication i would imagine
1: yeah the the funny thing is that <clears throat> like Andy pretty much revitalized professional wrestling in a way because Mm -hmm. he was doing all this stuff. Uh, he was going down to Memphis, um, to the mid South Coliseum and he was wrestling in front of these, uh, big groups of people. Um, before we had things like WrestleMania or before everyone knew who Hulk Hogan was or Macho man, Randy Savage. And the, the, the odd thing about it is that like, Andy didn't have a nickname or a character name. He would just go out, like, wearing a uh, a sport coat, like what he would probably wore on the plane on the way there. Like, he didn't have a costume uh, other than, like, what what I think he thought athletes should wear, which was, like, long underwear with a pair <laughs> of swimming trunks yeah. over over them. So, like, <clears throat> there was no there was no indication that he wasn't just being himself because he was Mm -hmm. using his own name. And uh, even like Jerry Lawler, you know, his nickname, the King, many people called him the King. Um, But for Andy, there was nothing. It wasn't like Andy the killer Kaufman or something like that. Just Andy Kaufman. And then, um, yeah, he, he, he was doing that before like, I mean, wrestling is so huge now. It has been since we were kids, but he started this back, like you said, in the mid 70s and then up through the early 80s. And it wasn't, it wasn't like mainstream entertainment at that time. Yeah. So he was like doing it um, and not even reaching as much of an audience as he would now, if he were to do it now. So, yeah. Got on that on Letterman. Was-
0: Got on, Got so. If if for those of you uh, who are who are unfamiliar, if 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 there's, um, for me when I think of Andy Kaufman and and the, the performance, the act, the thing that I think of is his exploits on David Letterman, with, Jerry the King Lawler. Um, could you could you explain, uh, to our listeners what what occurred there and and why maybe there was more going on than we than the audience really understood.
1: Yeah, so <clears throat> Andy was doing the thing where he wrestles women and he was doing that pretty pretty frequently going down to Memphis, Tennessee and then he wrestled someone who was being coached by Jerry Lawler, a woman named uh Foxy Jackson, I believe it was. So then Jerry Lawler uh intervened in one of their matches and pushed Kaufman aside and Andy had never wrestled a man before. So uh, he got angry and said he was gonna sue Jerry Lawler and this turned into a big feud between the two of them. And then uh, they did end up having a match and Andy, uh, he ended up in the hospital because Jerry Lawler did a pile driver, which is an illegal move. Jerry got disqualified. (laughs) And Andy ended up in the hospital and then had a neck brace. His neck was in traction. He wore a neck brace for months and months afterward, even though it was it was not necessary. And so they took the feud after the match to late night with David Letterman. This was back when Dave was on NBC in the 80s, and he was, like, certainly doing a lot more experimental stuff than he did mm-hmm. on, on the late show. So it was, like that was probably the only show where the two of them could go and have an audience. So they went on there and kind of aired their grievances against each other. And then Jerry, the King Lawler, uh, slapped Andy out of his chair, right? As they were going <laughs> to commercial break. And then when they came back, Andy Kaufman uh, cussed him out and used a bunch of profanities and threw coffee at him and then stormed off the set of the show. And uh, it was, people didn't people assumed that he had lost his mind that he had completely lost it now it's known now that the two of them were cooperating and working together and Mm -hmm. planning these things out but it's still there's still a question as to like how much they planned together and how hurt andy actually got because apparently he did actually get hurt yeah that he didn't need to wear a neck brace for six months but um he, he was injured. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't known until after Andy died that the two of them were even on speaking terms, let alone working out all these routines together. So <laughs> they, they took this feud and just refused to ever let on that it was just for theatrics and uh, led a lot of people to believe that it was it was real.
0: Yeah, it is. It is again, it's the essence of what in wrestling they would call kayfabe that Mm -hmm. that yeah we these two people hate one another (laughs) and it's it's deep and but in but in reality they're behind this they're behind the curtain talking out what they're what they're going to do to to draw the audience in
1: um i talked to uh andy's manager george shapiro for the podcast yeah and he said i i knew andy and jerry lawler were working things out. But I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what they were doing. So he went down and watched the match between the two of them not knowing how it was going to go. And when Andy was put, (laughs) when he was uh, the recipient of a pile driver, George Shapiro was extremely concerned and very upset and thought that his, (laughs) his client had probably, you know, broken his neck and might pass away or something. So yeah even even the people closest to them didn't know the extent of it.
0: So other than other than George Shapiro um who who are some other people that you were able to you were able to talk to for your podcast?
1: I talked pretty extensively with Andy's brother and sister. They both um are kind of the unofficial uh keepers of Andy's legacy. They <clears throat> they're very willing to talk about the things that he did and what kind of person he was. And they were uh, the two people I talked to first about the project itself, and they were immediately on board. So I spoke with them and uh, George Shapiro, like you mentioned, I spoke with uh, some women that Andy uh, was in love with at one time or another, people who dated him and some people who worked for him Um, people who knew him when he was in high school there was this group of friends that he was part of they called themselves uh, F Troop and they were friends all through high school and uh, all of them talked to me about the things that they did in school and they were sort of considered like the the bad boys of the town because they would like smoke pot and you know their hair was long and the the people in the community were kind of afraid of them But the interesting thing about that is that Andy, uh, it seems like every friend he ever made remained friends with him for his entire life. Like Even people he knew when he was a kid um, were, in some cases, even working with him professionally as an adult. So he was very, very loyal. Uh, So yeah, his friends, family, uh, love interests, people he worked with for a brief time, people he went to college with, people basically who got to see a glimpse of who he was under the, you know, behind the curtain.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you think that, um, was, did you get the sense that he was at all protective of, that he didn't let many people, um, get to see who he was for out of protecting his, his career, or did you did you get the impression that he was that he was very much someone who wanted to have genuine friendships and 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 let people let people get to know who he really was
1: i think i think maybe he didn't know how to let people get very close to him i don't think he was against it necessarily cuz the people who uh knew him loved him very deeply but I think they knew that there was, they could only get so far with him and, you know, not like he's purposely trying to keep them at arm's length, but I mean, like his, his sister was telling me, Andy would be, wouldn't be any good at a party. Like he couldn't keep up small talk or anything. I mean, he didn't know how to behave in certain social situations like that. But if you brought up something he was interested in, like an old twilight zone episode or something, he could, he could talk for hours. So I think he was just, an odd person and could re- really only had the capacity for a few, very close relationships and everyone else just had kind of had to only kind of, it had to be as satisfied with getting as far as they could.
0: You, you mentioned earlier that, uh, that he, he did pass away um, back in, back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even that, even Andy Kaufman, dying of cancer um caused some people to believe that that too was part of an act that that too was a was a was a uh, a bit um can you can you explain a little bit why what what some of the the rumor and innuendo around his passing uh has been
1: well i think the first thing that kind of shed some doubt on it was that um He died of lung cancer but he didn't smoke Mm -hmm. so I think that was he had a it was called large cell carcinoma it's a pretty rare kind of lung cancer I guess but at the time um, especially then if you heard lung cancer you assumed it was from a, a lifetime of smoking but since he didn't smoke, and since he was already responsible for doing all these things that made people question reality, uh, it was assumed that it was another hoax, that it was another put-on. So, um, and he, I mean, he was interested in the idea of faking his death. He had apparently talked to several people about it for years, leading up to when he actually died, Um, going so far as to say, like, he would say that he had cancer and that was going to be his cause of death. And he was going to like flee the scene and live in Bermuda for a while, just lay low, then come back. So when he actually died, I think there were people who assumed that he had gone through with it, that he had Mm -hmm. done this uh, elaborate plan. Now there's some question as to like, how early he started talking about that and if maybe he knew he was sick when he started talking about these ideas just as a way to um kind of play one last prank or whatever Mm -hmm. but i mean there are there are people who still say that he faked his death his his partner his writing partner bob samuda just released a book back in 2014 saying that he knew for a fact that andy had faked his death and that he was going to be coming back
0: yeah yeah but that's a pretty um um that's pretty strong endorsement well he had a book to sell (laughs) true but then again you know uh bob smuda correct me if i'm wrong but he he was often in on the joke he was often in on the on the the gag as well and so you know why why give it up you know
1: yeah i mean yeah Back when, uh, when Andy wanted to create more, uh, more questions about whether or not he was Tony Clifton, often Bob Zamuda would play Tony Clifton just so that he and Andy could be seen at the same time uh, and confuse people even further.
0: Well, I am, Chris, I am looking forward to listening to, uh, to the podcast, uh, knowing Andy Kaufman when can when and where can people check it out the first episodes are going to be available on december 8th
1: that is a tuesday and uh yeah wherever wherever you get your podcasts that's where it'll be
0: wherever you get them, you download them on your phone you go to the store to pick them up they're going to be in all the places
1: however it works
0: <laughs> and where on where on social media can Is there a place they can learn more or follow, uh, on social media?
1: Yep. Knowing Andy Kaufman, uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all the things,
0: all the things you can find it there. Uh, and you can learn about it. Chris, thanks so much for hanging out yet again. Uh, we don't do it enough, but I always enjoy talking to you and, uh, talking about one of our favorite subjects wrestling that's right that's what professional wrestling this was all just a ploy to get you to talk about professional wrestling
1: i'll tell you one more thing about andy's wrestling career
0: i would love to hear one more thing
1: well it after he died um the people his family was going through his personal effects and um when they got his wallet they looked through it and found that every check he had been written for his uh, time as a, as a wrestler had never been cashed. <laughs> he, he had enjoyed it so much, apparently, that it never occurred to him that he should take money for it. So he, every time he went down there and wrestled, he was doing it on his own time.
0: Like Forrest Gump mowing the grass. He just enjoyed <laughs> He he did it for free, <laughs> right? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, today we talked about Andy Kaufman, Donald Trump, mm-hmm. and Jerry the King Lawler, together with my good friend Chris Maloney, among other things. Bye.